Hello, this is Dr. Lee Hildebrand with another edition of Lakeshore Psych Podcast. And today I have a very special guest today to talk about a very important topic. And that is what are some of the unique needs that families have with autism? And the speaker that I have today is a paramount expert in the field of autism. She is a behavior analyst. She has uh, commandeered her own autism uh, center over the years. She is an international speaker in the realm of autism and has accomplished many things, including research and other domains. So I'm so honored to have you today. Welcome. This is Tammy Casper. Well, thank you, Lee. It's an honor today to be with you to talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and that's you know families of autistic children and the struggles that they face and the joys that they encounter along their journey. So um, really happy to have an opportunity to talk with you, someone I value as a friend and as a professional. Absolutely. Well, it's been clear to me, even when I first met you seven, eight years ago, that uh, you have dedicated your life to this effort and uh, discovered many very cool things in terms of how to help individuals with autism, in particular children, and then also their families. Uh, so I want to—I guess I want to start off by asking you, what really got you so interested and connected in with this? Well, I actually started my career not as a behavior analyst, but as a speech-language pathologist. So I've always been interested in improving communication. And my first job was working at a residential facility for kids with emotional disturbances. So these were kids in the inner city of Milwaukee that had severe behavior problems. And then, you know, when you move on from your first job and it says on your resume that you worked with kids with emotional disturbances, any kids that had problem behavior were generally assigned to my caseload. <laughs> so what we know about um, autism is that kids with autism have difficulty with social interaction and communication. And so it's not surprising that kids develop problem behavior as a way to communicate what they want and what they don't want. And so uh, being a speech pathologist and then becoming a behavior analyst was a really um, great fit for working with this population. And, you know, God brought lots of really amazing people into my life who helped mm -hmm. me along my journey, including like that I was involved with the first uh, Lovas replication site here in Wisconsin, mm -hmm. that I ended up being mentored by another international expert in the field of autism, Vince Carbone, and got to learn firsthand how we can combine procedures from the field of speech language pathology and behavior analysis to help uh, individuals with autism have a voice, right? Be able to express mm. themselves in whatever method, you know, so that they can let you know what they like, what they don't like, that what they want to be involved in, what they don't want to be involved in, get that agency, that autonomy. So, um, well, it's just clear that you have an incredible wealth of experience and expertise and knowledge on this. And I'm sure there's uh, families that are tuning into this uh, that are looking for uh, angles and tips and new knowledge uh, based on your wealth of experience. Let's start with this, Tammy. What do you see as some of the most, and, and I know there's so many nuances to that and, and you know, it would we could probably talk all day about these things, but what are some of the things that you think are some of the more important needs for children with autism? Probably the most important thing, and I wrote a chapter in an ethics book for behavior analysts, is about that our first goals with individuals with autism need to be surrounding communication and giving them a voice. 
So, I mean, I've always felt that that was the most important thing. It's what I've dedicated my life to, but um, providing a functional communication system for autistic children is probably the most important thing. You know, I can imagine, you know, without having that, and I see this in other domains as well, it must be frustrating for children that have ideas or thoughts that they want to communicate uh, in terms of having some limitations to that. Do you find that often? Yes. Yeah. And that's um, what I was trying to convey about, uh, you know, we think about individuals with autism as having more problem behavior or maybe different behavior than what we see in typical populations. But any person that's having a difficult time communicating will um, likely exhibit problem behavior if there aren't others in their world that are really wildly available to them that are so attentive and help them so systematically to improve their ability to communicate. And I know when we've talked about what one of the topics that we wanted to talk about today, we were talking about um, parents and the family and how it's impacted by having an autistic child. And there are so many ways in which that happens, but we know that autism, kids with autism have social differences and it's in how their brain is wired. So they don't respond to their parents in the same way as typically developing kids do. What are some of those distinctive differences that you see and that you've seen in your experience? I I mean, when you think about your early interactions and how you bond with your infant, I mean, it's really surrounding their social engagement with you. I mean, you know, as you hold your infant, he's wired to like, look at your face, right? Mm. And eye contact and to like have anticipatory responses when you're bringing the bottle to his mouth or look at you and look at the bottle and look back Mm -hmm. at you. So all these subtle little um, indicating responses from the infant, like feed our souls as parents. And we feel this connection, this bond with our, our child. But the research on autistic children like, suggests that they don't perceive this in the same way, that they're actually more attracted to objects than biological movement. Mm. But this is okay. different from the onset. And this is why I was talking about being wildly available is like parents need to like look so carefully at their children to try and be detectives about what the movements that they're showing mean and interpret those and layer on communication on top of those intentions. So it sounds like there's much more of an attraction to objects versus kind of nuances with the, you know, the people around them. That's, that's right. So that, it, you know, we think of like the social attention from your parent or ongoing interaction that for almost anyone that would be reinforcing, or you would continue to seek that out. But the, because of the difference um, in autistic kids, like that's something that, that it takes them some time to learn. And so during that process, that's when parents have to really look at and contrive opportunities and play with their kids in a little bit different way than we might be able to play with a, um, a more typically developing child. And, and I've said to you before, like I feel parents of kids with autism are held to a higher bar because you know, they had this dream of this perfect child and they didn't mm. imagine that they were going to have a child that was less socially responsive to them. And so it's kind of, they have to grieve a little bit and then regroup. And um, so there's an adjustment of expectations that you all often see in autistic families related to, you know, kind of their storybook expectations of what parenting may be like. That's a perfect way of saying it. Yeah, it is. It is a big adjustment and the families that end up 
being most successful and happy and adjusted are the families that are able to like, you know, process those emotions together and, um, you know, really have a unified like front with their child. Mm. And a front seems like a kind of a strong word, but be unified in their mission to, you know, help their child, um, appreciate every wonderful aspect that is their child, you know, and, and to maybe change a little bit or adjust their goals in what they wanted. So Tammy, when you're helping uh, these children and, and families, as I've heard you describe vignettes over the years, it seems like there's definitely some very important uh, protocols that, that you've developed, I understand, and implemented and taught, quite frankly, as well as I've always gotten a sense of the artistic, you know, finding those kinds of angles in terms of, you know, relating to autistic children in terms of where they're coming from. What Can you give our listeners a sense of some of the protocol approach and then also maybe just an example of a certain way that you've been able to connect. I'm sure you have hundreds of these examples, but where you find a, a unique angle with a certain child where you're able to break through. There are so many kids like that. My head is filled with right now, <laughs> but I will tell, sure. you, I'll tell you about, I'll tell you about one. Not hundreds. I, I probably should have said thousands. <laughs> But part of it is, again, when you're looking at someone who you're a parent and you want to interact with their child and they're, they're sort of aloof or appear aloof or rejecting you. And again, not because they don't want social interaction. They're just, uh, their system is set up differently, right? So um, that sameness and re repetition and those kind of things are more valuable. So I remember um, talking with a person on the phone. I used to fly to different states and like stay and treat a child and their family, their therapist, their school team for two or three days and then fly back home. So I'd always ask for a video ahead of time and I would do an, a phone interview. Now it's a Zoom interview. Mm -hmm. But I asked the family like, you know, what are the things that she's really interested in? What does she really like to do? Uh, you know, and the parent is like, she does not like a thing, Tammy. Like I have tried everything. I bought like the entire Walmart uh, toy department. And like, you know, she does not, she's not interested in a thing. And I'm like, well, all kids have behavior. Tell me what she does around the house. Do you and take that as a challenge when you hear feedback like that? I do because like part of, I think what brings me joy is being that detective. You know, so when I'm I'm asking yes. her like describe, tell me what your child does. And I try to inspire my parents also to be detectives like that. So she's like, you know what she really likes to do? She walks around the house, she taps furniture with the back of her hand and makes a moaning noise. And then she will like pull the electrical cords out of the socket and flip them in front of her eyes. And I was like, that's amazing. And she said, What? And I'm like, look how attentive you are to what she does. So we already know some things that she likes, right? She likes things that have a string like quality. So I've got koosh balls and pom-poms and Mardi Gras beads and like scarves and, you know, ribbon dancers and things that might have that same kind of visual stimulation that she's looking at with the electrical cords that are a little safer. And we can make sure that those items are available when it's time for us to play with her. And so that she sees that those things are coming from us. And then we can systematically shape those interests into things that are a little more sophisticated and shape her ability to indicate that she wants those from reaching or vocalizing to speaking or signing 
And so those are essentially the protocols that I work with are how can we establish like a little routine in play and then interrupt that routine to give a child a chance to like reach for the item or look at us so that what we're doing is teaching the child that these social stimuli that really don't seem that meaningful to you right now are meaningful. Looking at my face, seeing that ribbon dancer come down close to my eyes. When you're looking at those things and you're saying, oh, when Tammy smiles and says ribbon that that means something good's going to happen to me so that you pay attention more to those things. Ah, so you really draw attention to some of the types of social cues that help in the economy of getting what we want within our world. That's exactly it, Lee. That's exactly it. And I would imagine, Tammy, that with some of these parents in trying to navigate this really different way of thinking that their child has, that when you uh, reveal like you did with the example you just gave a totally different paradigm of looking at it, that that probably is an incredible relief to them when they have you do that uh, sleuthing and provide those kinds of revelations. I think for any parent, you want people, you want to hear people say things that support you and support you in your relationship with your child. And this is like to the nth degree with families of children with autism. So I am an expert in taking joy in every small step that kids make towards um, being a more productive and um, engaged member of their family. And it's a little tricky right now. And I, I'm, uh, I'm trying to be careful about how I'm talking because there's, you know, with, there's a movement in, um, in society in general, right? That individual differences are not disabilities. They're just differences. So like some people have said to me, like, do you still feel so strongly, Tammy, that you want kids to be, you know, that social stimuli, like our look, our eye gaze, like our smile, that these things are so important if it's not naturally important to someone. And what I feel like I'm doing is giving kids a choice that they can choose to be social or not social, but until those stimuli become meaningful, right? Until their mom's eye gaze or smile becomes important to them, then they don't really have an option of being able to um, look at her frown or her nod as being Mm. something that provides them information about what the next step should be. It almost sounds like you're helping autistic children to speak a different language than is innate to them. That's possible or giving them a, a more options. Like I don't want in them in terms to of how they free. perceive the world. Absolutely. In terms of how they perceive the world, or like you mentioned earlier. So this little girl that I, that came to mind when you were asking me this question, like she may have been perfectly happy to play with electrical cords for long periods of time. But once I taught her that there were 17 other toys that had that same kind of quality what we saw is a big change. And because those things were activated by adults or delivered by adults, that she began to like really see that she wanted to spend more time with the people that were associated with those wonderful things. And it shifted from being about the objects to being about the interaction with the the people and tickling games and chase games and vocalizing and hugging. And so this shift um, from being object oriented then to people oriented gives her a choice about how she spends her free time then. Does she want to engage with people or is she someone who maybe does prefer to be more on her own? But now she has a choice because she's contacted reinforcers in both domains. So increasing her interest, increasing the availability of social reinforcement to her is really important. 
What an incredible process. You, you mentioned the parents earlier, Tammy. I'm wondering, and I'm sure there's parents out there that are wondering too and would love to hear, what do you see as some of the unique needs that parents with a child of autism experience? Well, they need more time. <laughs> One thing that I'm thinking about is like, you know, when I, I made some notes to myself about like what's really important for the parents or the couple, the family mm-hmm. unit, right? As they're trying to help their autistic um, child. And I'm like, yeah, well, they need to be wildly available so they can notice these little changes in their child's behavior and kind of catch them, showing them what they don't, what they what they like and what they don't like before kids start engaging in problem behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And they have to be more consistent in their expectations and sort of their routines around the house because that helps also prevent problem behavior and gives uh, autistic kids a sense of security in general. And they also, you know, ha- have to, in terms of consistency, have like more kind of unified rules about what things they're going to let the child do and not do. I mean, this is true of all parents, but to a greater degree because of the escalation, the easier escalation of problem behavior in kids with autism. That this those is like, are very it unique. sounds like parenting on steroids, if you will, <laughs> in terms of the, you know, just the level of how on point that a parent would need to be. Um, I'm sure that can be very tiring. How do parents and how do you recommend parents deal with the fatigue that can come from having such a high responsibility uh, in terms of navigating these circumstances? Well, I think one of the resources that I think are essential for parents are, um, I mean, finding and developing a really good relationship with their therapy team that's working with their child, whether that's their school team or their ABA team, their speech pathologist, OT, like birth to three team. And that they need to be honest with that professional about what they can do and what they can't. One thing that I learned during COVID is because a lot of my parents were home and they were with their kids and I was doing some of my visits virtually, but then I was doing a parent visit like every week virtually is I got to know my parents better than I had in the past. And they were more honest with me about what was feasible for them and what was not. They were also, Mm -hmm. um, I I think, more motivated because they had their child in their home 24-7. So they now we're seeing a lot more um, situations where they had to make decisions. And so they were, they were asking for more help, but also being honest with me about what expectations I could have for them. And so we were much more collaborative in working on a behavior intervention plan or how we were going to uh, teach communication. And that, that resulted in better gains for a lot of my kids. And I think COVID was awful for some children, but for the kids that I was working with and their families, some of them made more gains during that time because their parents were more available, because there was more time. It sounds like it kind of artificially eliminated a lot of the distractions that we can experience as parents and for them in particular, so they could hone in on their family system in regard to these dynamics and make those gains. Absolutely. So being honest, having a supportive team, being honest with them, asking okay. for help from your friends, from your relatives. Um, I think, you know, you need to take time to refuel for your marriage and for yourself. Um, you know, there's a higher incidence of divorce in um, parents of autistic kids and, you know, nurturing your marriage and taking that time, I think is really important to, mm. you know, and just, you know, 
having a support person like you, Lee, where someone could freely express, you know, and process their grief about not having the child they dreamed of and adjusting their goals and expectations and being able to take joy in small victories and all, you know, keeping that, you know, one day at a time, one miracle at a time attitude, I think is really important. That's such a great point. I mean, I've had two situations today in particular where I think people were really looking for, hey, what can I do to deal with some of the challenges in, in the pain? And I said, number one is being able to voice it and to be able to talk about it with the right people. I think that's just so important in the human experience to do that. And I love how you emphasize being able to get more margin when they can or time to regroup and take care of some of their own needs. Um, I, it reminds me of the, the old analogy in regard to uh, being on an airplane and when the flight steward gets up there and talks about oxygen protocols, they, of course, they always say, make sure you put your own oxygen mask on yourself so that you can attend to others. And I'm, I'm guessing that's really crucial uh, for parents with autistic children. Now, I'm guessing sometimes they kind of have to get the mask and work with their child and then try to get a, a quick hit of oxygen here or there with some of the demands <laughs> that are present. No, that's that's very true. And I mean, the other pressures that those parents often face are there's a high incidence of sleep issues in kids with autism. There's, you know, feeding issues often with kids with autism and other behavior problems that they face. And then feeling like that they might be neglecting the, the their other children because the child with autism consumes so much time. So there's definitely like this is a slightly different role as a parent than anyone had anticipated. And that's why the other point of connection that I think is really important to my families is having um, a, you know, a support group of other parents of autistic kids that, who can really empathize with that. And in some cases, parent-to-parent -parent resources are or bet much better than any resources that I can provide. And there's a lot of local autism support groups. Um, and the Autism Society of Wisconsin has lists of those and other resources. That's the Autism Society of Wisconsin for people yes. that want to check those out? Yeah, ASSCW, the Autism Society of Southeastern Wisconsin. I mean, and, you know, there's Autism Speaks. There's lots of great resources, but finding a community of support near you, even if you have one or two other parents in there who can really understand um, your situation, that seems to be refreshing, right? Renewing. To the I'm kind of guessing per what you said that even in addition to the professionals that parents get help from, it's got to be extremely helpful to have those connections with fellow parents that know what it's like to walk in that paradigm together. Yes. Yeah. Something that I can't ever fully appreciate, but another parent could. So how do you see this Tammy affecting marriages uh, with parents? And then of course their marriage themselves in regard to that connection in navigating these circumstances in this family system. It's interesting the dynamics that evolve because part of um, having an autistic child is that the recommended treatment is that your child would have treatment for 30 to 40 hours a week for a couple of years. And so in some cases, that means that there's people coming into your house to provide this in-home treatment. In some cases, that means you're having to drive your child to a clinic every day and participate in family training there. So there's this, this different role that 
uh, in addition to like what we might think of the busyness of having a child and having to take them to school, there's all these other professionals that you have to coordinate with and, and the parents have to be in good communication and sort of process the information together and make decisions about how they're going to manage family situations together. And because one parent often can't work because of the demands of the schedule, a lot of times it ends up that one parent is the custodial parent and has much more responsibility. And so mm. then they're sort of the trainer for the other parent. And I, they, maybe that's not an attractive way to say it, but that's sort of how it happens. Yeah. And so that kind of changes the power dynamics in a relationship. And, and it's just, it's interesting to see families that are able to thrive with that and like honor the parent that's, you know, doing um, more of the collaborative work with the professionals and honor their expertise in that. And those are the families where that really, that really works well. I've seen some really, really beautiful relationships. And I've also seen situations where um, people were struggling and where they needed a lot of support um, and they needed for me to lower the standards a little bit or find Mm. a different way to work on something because it was too difficult. Yeah. And in addition to that, I would say if parents can get an opportunity for their marriage to, you know, if they can get some coverage for uh, an all day seminar or a weekend to just try to refresh their relationship, I would think uh, approaches like that or getting some counsel when they need could be helpful as well. Absolutely. I mean, when you talk about some of the marriage um, seminars that you do, Lee, I often think about how wonderful it could be for some of my families, for those couples to be able to go to something like that and have a, like you said, a break and a breather from their day to day and really spend some time together and have an opportunity to like, you know, talk through some of these things in a environment that's not chaotic. <laughs> yeah, right. To when get you have there. small children, there's a lot of chaos. And when you have small children with autism, there's a lot more chaos. Absolutely. Well, Tammy, this has been really helpful today. Uh, obviously, there's so many different layers uh, that we could go into with your expertise. Um, it seems like our time has just flown by today. I'm wondering from a professional standpoint in terms of research or any writing, kind of what's what's on deck for you right now in, in terms of something that you're geeking out about, so to speak? Yeah, well, my latest fascination is about like shaping indicating responses. So getting these subtle communication forms from kids, increasing them, and then um, really teaching kids that social stimuli are important. And when we do this, what the research is showing is that we have to spend less time doing so much structured therapy because kids can learn how to learn in more natural situations. So I'm actually doing, have a product coming out that's helping parents and therapists to learn how to play with their kids in slightly different ways to get more of this engagement going. And, um, you know, doing a whole series of talks on this in various locations, uh, so I'm excited about that, about that work. And really, I guess I'm excited because I think it's going to be really helpful to um, people that are kind of struggling to connect with some of these kids with more restricted interests. Well, that sounds really intriguing. So everybody that's listening, keep your eyes out for that. It sounds like Tammy is going to be doing some very informative talks uh, to help with those things. And in terms of resources, uh, any other tips that you would give uh, for parents uh, looking for 
um, like hubs of resources. You mentioned a website earlier. In turn, uh, yeah, ASSEW, Autism Speaks. These are good, you know, general resources. Um, and, you know, there's lots of good behavior analytic programs around. I am now employed by Autism Behavioral Health, and we have psychologists that, you know, serve some of these roles that I've talked about in terms of some support for families. Um, so... That's beautiful. And we can definitely help with that as well in terms of couples or family. We do collaborative family therapy where we're working with maybe a child in a situation and then also parents individually and bringing the whole family together. So be happy to help with that. Tammy, I have to say I am so honored that thank you for taking this time today to talk about these important issues. And I think for those that don't have children with autism, sometimes, uh, you know, it's helpful for them to just have an understanding when they have friends or family members uh, that are going through that as well to understand some of those dynamics and how we can best be supportive to others in our communities. That's so true. And I, you know, that just one other closing point about that is like sometimes when we see a child engaging in problem behavior in you know a community situation, that's one of the big fears about that parents of children with autism have is kind of the social responses that they get. So if all we did by doing this talk is like make someone think a minute before they give a look or question someone's parenting skills, that would have accomplished our goal because those people need support for you to say, hey, it's hard, good sticking with it. Absolutely, to kind of cheerlead for them. Yes, yes, rather than um, any kind of judgment. So Beautiful. Well, thank you again. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Lakeshore Psych Podcast today. This is Dr. Lee Hildebrand with special guest Tammy Casper. And we want to thank you for joining us today. And for the families with autism, we want to just give our shout out to you. Um, We just appreciate the efforts that you have in terms of bringing your family along so that you can have dynamic and enriching relationships together and with your children. So everybody take care and have a great day.